So one of the things I do love about this book of Philippians is what a practical letter it is. Paul writes this letter. He's in prison, and he writes this letter to these, these uh, dear friends of his, this church that exists in the city of Philippi. And here we are almost 2,000 years later reading that same letter that Paul wrote. We're reading it in English. He didn't write it in English. This is before English was, was a thing. But uh, here we are reading it in our own language. And, and this is one of those books of the Bible you could read every week and it would help you just live out your Christian faith each day. It's just, it's just a wonderful book. Now that doesn't mean that it is not deeply theological as well. Uh, don't think that theology and, and practical are opposed to one another because they're not. Uh, this is a deeply theological book. We saw in chapter 2, I think it's verses 4 through 8 or 10 roughly in there, that, that passage that's known as the Christ hymn uh, that talks about Jesus. That's one of the most deeply theological, amazing passages about who Jesus is that you'll find in all of Scripture. Uh, revealing that he is both God and that he is man and that he laid his life down for us to rescue us, to give us life. And that theology, that understanding of who God is, is meant to impact us in such a way that it changes our lives. The passage that we come to this morning can be seen as the summation of everything that Paul's written thus far. This is sort of like the crescendo of the sermon. If this was a sermon, this is where Paul is kind of laying it down. Here's what, here's what to do now. Here's how to live this. This is the main application of the letter. The Christian faith is not something that resides merely in our heads. It is intellectual. It is something that we, we want to learn and grow in. Uh, 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 that's why we study the Word of God. We do want the Word of God to, to come into our minds, but then we want it to move into our hearts and to be lived out by our actions. Christianity is more than just a thing that we think about or something that gives us the warm fuzzies in our heart. It's a relationship with God that takes up full residency of every aspect of our lives. Our fellowship with God is meant to alter everything about us. So we don't get to compartmentalize it. We don't get to say, well, uh, God gets this part of me, but not this part of me. He gets every part of us. As a matter of fact, Paul writes to the uh, Corinthian church, he says that we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If you're a new creation, it doesn't mean that Part of you, the old part of you, is still going to, you still get to hang on to that. No, it's, it's gone, and you're a new creation in, in Christ. And so that means that our lives change. These verses that we come to this morning, they're helping us understand what it looks like, how that change plays out in the unfolding of our daily lives. Not just what happens on Sunday, but what happens on Monday through Sunday. Now, if you read carefully... In our text, you'll notice that it is bookended. The, the first uh, verse there in verse 4 all the way to verse 9, the two bookends of these verses are two prominent features of what God intends for us to enjoy as his followers. One is joy and the other is peace. 
What does God have for you? In Jesus Christ, he has joy and he has peace. Of course, who doesn't want joy and peace in their life? I would say that the vast majority of all human beings aim for joy, look for peace in their daily lives. As a matter of fact, I, I would say that they're, whatever it is that they pursue with their life, whether it's right or wrong, one of the reasons that they pursue that thing or that person or that activity is because they think it's going to give them joy or peace. But what Paul is saying is that the joy and peace that the Scriptures talk about actually are ours in Christ Jesus. They're not joy and peace that we drum out from ourselves. They don't start from us. They begin in Him and are brought to us through Him. They're not just something that we hope for, but they're something that we can have, something that we are called to live in and experience. So church, the Lord wants you to live in joy and to experience his peace. But Paul is going to explain that there's a way for us to appropriate that joy and peace in and from the Lord as we live out our lives on a daily basis. Because, you know, if we're honest, not every day is, whoo, this, um, this is joy for me, or every day we feel peace. That's not the case. There's all kinds of things coming at us that we have to deal with that will take joy, suck the joy out of our life, or remove the peace in our life. And so we have to learn how to appropriate the joy and peace that God provides so that we can walk in that and live in that on a daily basis. And Paul is explaining that here in this passage. With that in mind, we pick up in verse 4, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No, no. He says, Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So, like, if you haven't heard this yet in the book of Philippians, this is, I don't know, the eighth time he's, he's mentioned rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. First of all, this is an imperative. That means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Paul's not saying if you feel like it, you should rejoice. If, if, you, know, if, if you had enough coffee this morning, you should have great joy. That is not what he is saying. This is not optional for us. This isn't the first time that Paul has talked about rejoicing in the Lord or taking our joy in the Lord. It's pretty much a theme in this letter, it is a theme that Paul doesn't mind reiterating over and over again because it's so important for us. And as we've learned, it's not about rejoicing in our circumstances. He didn't say rejoice in what you're going through. Rejoice in what you're not going through. It's not about circumstances because we can go through difficult things, things that we think are lousy, things we don't think we should have to go through. That doesn't matter. That's not where our joy is found. It's about rejoicing in who God is and what God has done and what he's promised to do no matter what our circumstances may be. To rejoice in the fact that he's with us in the midst of our circumstances. We view our circumstances through God, not God through our circumstances. That's how we can obey this command, to rejoice in the Lord. Now, what is unique here is that the command Paul is giving is to the entire congregation. Now, of course, it's a letter to the congregation. So somebody's reading it to the congregation. But the whole congregation is supposed to do this together. So church, 
When we gather together, the command exists for us. Rejoice in the Lord. This is why we take time uh, to, to worship God. This is why I encourage you at the beginning of the service. Look, I know things are hard. We're, 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 we go through difficulties, but let's set our mind upon the Lord. Let's set our thoughts upon him, and let's rejoice in the Lord. That should be the default position for the church, to rejoice in the Lord. It's weird to the world. <laughs> if you don't know Jesus and you come into a church and people are like, praising Jesus... You're like, what's going on? They're weird. That's not the default position for the, for the world, but it is what's normal for us. Now, if, as a family, as a congregation, we let the Lord be the determiner of our joy, not our circumstances, then it's going to have a profound effect on our witness to the world around us. It's going to have a profound effect on our Christian testimony. It's not that we go around and act goofy, And pretend like nothing bad is ever happening. That's not what joy in the Lord is. We don't live in denial. No, we deal with reality. And sometimes our circumstances are bad. That's the reality of them. We don't pretend like that's not true. But how we conduct ourselves in dealing with the reality of bad or hard or difficult circumstances will often be quite different than what the prevailing approach in the world around us is. Our attitude will be different. At least it should be. Here's how Paul expresses it. If you look at verse 5. As we rejoice in the Lord, here's what that looks like. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It's kind of a cool command. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, when he says, let it be known to everyone, he's not saying that you need to announce it. Here I am, I know this is a difficult situation, but I am reasonable, trust me. I've got this. That, that's, that's not going to go over well. The word reasonableness, it means gentleness, graciousness, a friendly, well-balanced character. That's what, he, it, it, that's what joy in the Lord produces that in difficult circumstances. You're gentle, you're gracious, you're well-balanced. So what Paul is saying is that when we live with joy rooted in the Lord, that actually produces reasonableness in our lives. And that becomes known, particularly when we face circumstances that are not favorable, not enjoyable. That that becomes known of us. Because while others may tend to freak out in those circumstances, the followers of Jesus should stand out as being reasonable, gentle, gracious people in the midst of those difficult challenges. Okay, that's what we're called to. That's what, that's what our faith looks like when it's lived out. Now, we don't have to look very far to see how this is or isn't playing out right now in this cultural moment in our own country, right? Right? Man, we're going through all kinds of things. We're seeing all kinds of upheaval upheaval, and upheaval, whatever that is. And we're watching people. And do we see a lot of reasonableness? 
We're watching as people rejoice in their political party of choice or their candidate of choice or their skin color of choice or their economic theory of choice, whatever that may be. And what happens if or when that person or thing that they've attached their joy to loses or is defeated or is mistreated or doesn't work out like it says it was supposed to, do we see people responding gently, graciously, in a well-balanced manner? I would say no. That's not the default in the world. That's not what we've been seeing for some time. As a matter of fact, I know that there are some people who are actually preparing for things to get really worse and ugly post-election. They're not expecting reasonableness to prevail. Quite the opposite. But the church should stand out from that. Our reasonableness should be known. That means it should be obvious. It should be evident because no matter what happens or who wins or what theory gains the day, our lives are anchored to the one who is king of kings and lord of lords and whose kingdom prevails both now and forevermore. So we're set. Those other things don't have to move us. We can be reasonable because we're anchored to Jesus Christ. Of course, that doesn't make dealing with all of this very easy, does it? We don't necessarily feel like we're at peace right now. It's not really a a very peaceful time. Even with our joy in the Lord, we still feel the anxiety and fear rises up. We, we, We have that struggle. Back in Paul's day, the Roman Empire, as it expanded, it would go into new countries, new territories, new cities. It had a way of enforcing peace. Uh, the, the, the government of Rome would send in a legion and that legion would camp itself in one of the major cities and they would enforce what was known as the Pax Romana. If, if, you want, if you want to rebel in this city, you have to deal with the military. If you want to rebel against this city, you're going to have to deal with the military. It was an enforced peace. Well, the Philippians understood that because they had a garrison of Roman soldiers in their own city. And so they knew that you could have peace, but not really have peace. But look what Paul says about where the Christian's peace comes from. In verse 5, he says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here they are living in the city where there's a military garrison set there. And yeah, if you want to uh, uh, protest something, that's going to get shut down. If somebody wants to come and invade you, that's going to get shut down. If they don't like Christianity, they might put that down as well. All of these things that can act like peace, but it's not really peace. And Paul is saying, but there is peace for us. It just doesn't come from the world. Christians have always lived in crazy and anxiety-stirring times. 
But those times do not need to be the determiner of our peace. Church, the times we live in do not need to be what determine our peace. Why not? Because ultimately, it's because we know that the Lord is with us. That's what the word at hand means. The Lord is with us. And if the Lord is with us, as Paul would write to the uh, the church in Rome, then who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The psalmist wrote about the peace that comes because the Lord is with us. Psalm 145, the Lord is near, physically, presently near to all who call on him and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear or revere him. He also hears their cry and saves them. See, the presence of the Lord, the nearness of God, in any situation, that's our peace. Then again in Psalm 119, 151, But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. So since the Lord is with us, then we can do as the psalmist encourages and call out to him in the face of the things that bring anxiety into our lives. This is where the rubber meets the road. We face things that bring a lot of anxiety to us. And Paul is saying, but we can still have peace. We can have joy and we can have peace. And he says, here's how we do that. Here's how we appropriate that. We do it by recognizing the Lord is with us. Therefore, we call out to him. We pray. Prayer, interceding with God, calling out to God on behalf of this situation, on behalf of these people by supplication. That word means urgently asking God to meet a need. Oh, my goodness. We face things in our life, don't we, where it feels like if this doesn't happen today, I don't know what's going to happen. There's threats of this. If this doesn't come across, Lord, I don't, it's all going to fall apart. So what do we do? We, Lord, I'm asking you, calling upon you, supplicating. And then Paul says we do that with thanksgiving. We make our request known to God. We bring specific things to God, knowing that God will do what's good and what's right and what's holy, and we thank him ahead of time for it. And what's so amazing is that when we pray like that, when we release those things to God, then the result is that we can stop being anxious. Because if we're, if we're trusting God when we pray, if we recognize that there's things we can't control, things that we aren't responsible for, things that are out of our power, but we leave it in His hands, then God replaces our anxiety about those things with his peace. Oh, and we can take a breath. Walter Hansen, he, he put it very simply, he says, although the peace of God refers primarily to the peace God has and is in himself, let's stop there for a second, think about this, God doesn't freak out about anything. Church, God does not have anxiety. He's not worried about anything. We do, but he doesn't. And so the peace, that God, the peace of God, it refers to who he is. God's presence brings peace. The peace of God also refers to the peace that God gives, the inward peace of the soul which comes from God and is grounded in God's presence and 
promise. The way that we experience peace is by recognizing God's presence and by praying and giving things over to the Lord. And that peace from God's presence and from God's power and from God's promises that then shapes us and it shapes our practices as, then, as we continue to live our lives out. And, we, and, and this is true of us both as individuals but also us congregationally. Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, Whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Sometimes we don't experience God's guarding peace. We don't have that sense of a, a, a peace that surpasses all understanding that protects our hearts and our minds because even though we pray about something, we don't let it go. We don't entrust God with it. Amen? Amen. (laughs) There are times when we pray about something and then we continue to obsess about it. We pray And we stew. Or if you're like me, you pray and you suggest to God all the ways that he could deal with this. And we're not really trusting God with whatever decision we make or direction we take. And so we remain anxious. Paul is saying that we need to not only pray and rest in the Lord, trust him, thank him, but then we need to refocus our attention. So if I pray and I say, Lord, Here's this situation, and it's, I'm having a hard time with this, and it's troubling me, and I take joy in who you are, Lord, and what you've promised to do, and so, Lord, here it is, and if I then let that go and thank him for what he's going to do, I don't even know what it's going to do, but, Lord, I'm trusting you, then my natural tendency is to then, when I'm done praying, to then start thinking about it again, and Paul is saying you've got to set your mind on other things. Get your eyes off of what's inducing the anxiety. Leave it in the Lord's hands. Keep on leaving in the Lord's hands if you need to. And turn your attention instead to, look at the list that Paul gives. Whatever's true, that means reliable. So that might mean, mm, I probably maybe I should spend a little bit of time in God's word. Because the word of God is reliable, I need to be reminded of God's promises. Whatever's honorable, that means noble, of good character. Whatever's just, that speaks of things that are righteous. Whatever's pure, meaning things that are morally blameless. Whatever's lovely, thinking of things that are beautiful and delightful, like maybe sit down and have a a great meal, because that's lovely. Whatever's commendable, admirable, praiseworthy if there's anything that's excellent that means that builds virtuous character if there's anything that's worthy of praise that that has outstanding behavior these are the things to turn our attention to and to think about very practical 
Church, it's important to understand that Paul is not just talking about reading our Bibles, though. He's not saying every time you're struggling. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. (laughs) You will find all of these things there. But when we're at work, we may not have the opportunity to. You might have to make a decision at work and it's stressing you out and you're giving it to the Lord and then you're trying to move on. And so how do you do that? You have to reset your mind, set your mind on other things. If we're going to be serious about this, if we're going to be honest about it, then there may have to be a change in some of our practices. Change in uh, some of the ways that we spend our time and the things that we set our mind upon. Let, Let me give you an example. If you spend hours a day watching cable news or network news, then your mind is being shaped to constantly be thinking about whatever the controversy of the day is. Controversy du jour. That's what they're going to be pumping. Boom, boom, boom. And if you spend hours watching that and listening to that, guess what happens to you? You're totally anxious about that. You're worried about it. You're freaked out about it. And the entire business model of these networks is to keep you anxious, to keep you fearful, because it's like a drug. You will keep coming back to it. And it's not just cable news that does this. Your Facebook does this. Your Instagram will do this. Um, all of your, your, your social networking does this. And, and it's intentional, because if you can keep people like intensely worried about things, then they will keep coming back to it. So why set our mind on those things? Why let the joy that we have in the Lord be taken from us by people who have ulterior motives when we can apply our mind to so many things that are better? Recently, Karen and I had, had a great chance to like practice this. We went out... Um, a couple weeks back, we had, we had uh, uh, lunch with Mike, Pastor Mike and Janine. So we try to get together with them once a month if we can. And we, we had them come up here, and they met us out at La Cueva, at the La Cueva farm. Now, there is a, a great little uh, uh, barbecue restaurant there. Barbecue is from God. It is a gift from God. And so if you set your mind on barbecue, it's, it's very helpful. But we went out with them, and it was a beautiful day. The, the setting is gorgeous it was like 70 degrees this beautiful setting good food nice fellowship great conversation and we spent hours hours just just no stress no worry joy and peace and then we went home and we and we talked about it how man this was awesome this was so we should do this more often not just with 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 our friends but Like, as a practice, we should maybe do this a little bit more often. But here's the temptation. The temptation is then I go home, and the temptation for me is I better check all all of my my websites on the Internet to see in that three hours of time what happened because something probably happened and somebody probably said something that I need to know about. It's like, oh, I've got to go back to that. And that doesn't bring me the joy and peace. I lose it then. Paul says, that may be a problem for us. <laughs> well, I, I would say for a lot of us, that is a problem. 
So we have to make changes. Paul offered his own life as a model to follow. Look at verse 9. He said, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If you think about Paul's life, he had an amazing life, but he did not have an easy life. Uh, There was nothing easy about it. The man is writing this from in prison and he's saying, follow me as a model. He's not saying all of you should go to prison. He's saying there's a way to live in the joy and peace of God. Let that peace of God guard your heart and your mind. There's a way to do it no matter your circumstances. If you think about it, Paul modeled rejoicing in the Lord, having the peace of God, and it wasn't because he was a hermit. It wasn't because he locked himself away in a closet somewhere. Paul was highly educated. He was well-read. He was well-fed. He was well-traveled. He was well-cultured. Paul could quote poets from ancient Greece in his letters to other Greek Christians. I mean, the man knew all kinds of stuff. He could go places, meet diverse people, interact with them. And all the while he could do that while acknowledging the things that reflect the character and the goodness and the nature of God. So it wasn't like he just tucked himself away and hid himself away and that's how he kept joy and peace. It was he lived his life fully, but he was absorbed by the things that were good and right and true and beautiful and peaceful and in living his life that way paul enjoyed the peace of god's presence day in and day out even in prison so church we're living in a time that's challenging to say the least right it's hard going through hard things our nation is going through challenging things it may not get better Lord, please, (laughs) let it get better. But it may not. But we can still be a people who are anchored in joy in the Lord and who experience the peace of God. It guards our minds and our hearts and as a result, live lives that are reasonable. People see there's something different and the difference is Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you for what you bring to us. God, we bring ourselves, all the mess that we are, all the mess that our world is. We find not a lot of joy in it and, and, and not hardly any peace whatsoever. And, and yet you bring your joy and your peace to us. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing our lives. Thank you for making us new through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for anybody that is either here this morning or watching on the the live stream or listening later on in the week that hasn't put their faith in Jesus, that's trying to navigate this world, trying to find joy, trying to find peace. Apart from Christ, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to Jesus. Thank you that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Help us to trust in you, Lord. God, I pray for us as a church, as a congregation, that you would challenge us, Lord, that if we are unreasonable because we're being moved one direction or another, 
by these circumstances that we have to deal with in the world. Lord, teach us to anchor ourselves in the joy of the Lord. Remind us, Lord, to call out, to recognize the nearness of your presence, to call out to you, to pray, to lay our burdens down before you, and then to walk in your peace, God. Help us to trust you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all that we have to look forward to in eternity with you, God. Man, we're looking forward to that. Amen.